We're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. This morning, Craig, we only have two more sermons left there. This morning, Craig will speak to us from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Morning, everybody. Let's just pray together real quick to start. Father, thank you that you're here. We want to hear from you. You're a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And so we're asking right now that you'd come and drop manna from heaven for our souls. Come and speak to us through your word. We, we are in a battle. And we need your strength to stand. In Jesus' name, amen. How would you characterize the Christian faith? Like when you think about what it means to follow Jesus, what kind of words come to your mind? I think the popular way to characterize it these days would be something like a journey, right? You talk about your journey with Jesus or walk with him, maybe. That might be a little bit more appropriate, walk. Not that journey is wrong. It's true. It is a journey with Jesus. What about an adventure? I've heard some of that. Um, Recently, I've heard some language about apprenticeship with Jesus. I think there's an argument to be made with that, too. Following in his ways. Our forefathers in the faith, people who came long before us, Um, characterized it, described it far more as a battle, a war. Do you think of discipleship with Jesus, following Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, do you think of it as a battle with a very real enemy? What's been touched on throughout Ephesians um, 6 10 through 17, what we just read this morning, hammers home. We live in a great spiritual battle between God and real spiritual forces. And those forces are evil. They're not good. And here's the deal. Every single thing that has been instructed to us in Ephesians, can you tell that I'm struggling with this mic right now? My goodness. Maybe this is an attack of Satan. We don't do that. And well, I'll tell you why in a little while. This may or may not be. But we, here's the thing. We, in this letter, in Ephesians, every instruction, every application of the gospel to our lives takes place in the midst of, not absent from, but takes place in the midst of a very real spiritual battle. That's what, that's what it's talking about here. And that's why this passage is here. This is what Paul wants us to know. There is a spiritual battle going on. And the battle 
has a target, our heart, your heart. There's an unseen war that rages in us, even in this moment, right here, um, with a powerful, seductive, deceptive enemy. And you are in the enemy's crosshairs. He's a destroyer, a life destroyer, and he's after your soul. But here's the good news from this passage, and it's our main idea today. It's this. Life is war, but God has given you all the grace you need to stand. I'll say it again. Life is war. We are in a battle. But God has given you all the grace you need to stand. You're going to need your Bible. If you have a Bible, grab it, please. We're going to skip back and forth. I want you to see it if you can. Pull it up on your phone. Pull it up on your tablet. Maybe a few of you even have a paper Bible. Grab your Bible. Here's the first point. I want us to see, starting here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6, verse 10, the strength available to us. Our passage begins with these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And this is why you're going to need your Bible. Paul is actually referencing back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. All of Ephesians is interconnected. It's a beautiful letter. You can almost click, you can, you can look at any word and pick it out and you can weave it through the, the entire book. Um, back in chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Paul is praying. Verse 18, he says this, that you may know, he's praying this for us, you may know, and then skipping ahead a little bit, verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Now, strength of his might that we see in chapter 6, verse 10. So if you're flipping and flopping back and forth, chapter 6, verse 10 says strength of his might. And great might here in chapter 1, verse 19, those are the same constructions. Those are the same words. So what is the strength of God Paul is saying we need to be strong in? Look again at chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. I'll pick it up at the word according. So verse 19, chapter 1, verse 19 According to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and the power and dominion. So here's the point, and here's why I'm wanting you to flip and flop and go back and forth and, and look at this, understand this, that strength of his might and great might are the same. It's because the strength that we as Christians access is the same strength that raised Jesus from the dead. It's that level of strength. That's what we have access to. That is a death-destroying strength. That is a sin-smashing strength. That's what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. And we experience tastes of that now as Christians. Joy, assurance, peace. We're going we're to experience all that fully in the age to come. But it's more than that. It's more than that. And I want, this is what I want you to see. Ephesians, Ephesians 1 tells us that his resurrection also won a victory over not just sin and death, but over Satan and his demonic forces. Jesus' resurrection in chapter 1, it, it exalted him over, it says far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Those are the rulers, authorities, and powers in chapter 6 verse 12. Those same words are used here. 
And this idea of Jesus being a, winning a victory over Satan, this is an old theological concept called Christus Victor. It just means, in Latin, it just means Jesus the victor. And here's the gist of it, and why I want you to know that. All humanity became slaves of sin and death through Adam giving in to Satan's deceit. And thereby, all humanity was taken captive by Satan. Jesus came, and he talked about this in the Gospels, Jesus came to bind the strong man, that is, Satan. Satan is the strong man. And take back what is his. And Jesus did that. He bound the strong man through his death and his resurrection. And then Jesus plundered Satan. If you can picture it in your mind, it's like he tied him up so that he could take what, what Satan had took from him. And what did Satan take from him, from Jesus? His people. Jesus plundered Satan. He took back his people. Jesus came to liberate us from bondage. Not only to sin, that's true, but also to liberate us from Satan. To set us free and to restore us to God. That strength that Jesus worked in the resurrection from the dead to set us free, that strength, Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 6, it's at work in you. The strength of the Christus victor, the Jesus liberating strength. We are in a real spiritual battle, but if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, this battle is a winning battle. I heard someone say that because of Christ's victory, we no longer live as victims, but we live as victors through him. That's the way it works. As Christians, though, let's, let's, think, let's take it a step further. What does that mean? What does it mean to live not as a victim, but as a victor now? What does it look like to live in the strength of God's victory over Satan, of Jesus' victory over Satan? It means that though we're weary, are you weary? Though we're weary from life, from sin, though we despair so easily, whether, it's we, whether we're weary or we despair because of the circumstances that are around us or because of our own sin or our guilt or our shame or temptations that overwhelm us, no matter what we face, the fight has been won. It's over. He won it for you. There's an old letter that Martin Luther wrote to a friend who was facing what seemed like unbearable temptation to give up on the faith. And he gave this excellent advice. This is what he was writing to his friend. He said, This devil is conquered by mocking and despising him, not by resisting and arguing with him. You know, just a little aside, you mock and you despise a defeated enemy. Satan is a defeated enemy. Luther goes on. He says, When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak this way. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I should be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made a satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. That's walking in the victory that Christ won over Satan. Where he is, I'm with him. His victory, 
my victory. You have been set free by Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Christ, Satan no longer has dominion over you. You are in the, under the dominion of King Jesus, and he is the best king. So Paul tells us, be strong. Be strong in Christ's victorious strength for you. And then he tells us, in light of Christ's strength, put on the armor of God so that we can stand against our enemy, the devil. Now, before we dive into putting on the armor and all that, I want to talk for a minute about the enemy that we face. The enemy we face. That's the next part. So verse 12 describes the nature of the battle against our enemy. It says this, if you're looking at your Bibles, it's verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, the Ephesians live in Rome, right? The empire, the Roman empire, tolerates Christians for now, but not long after this, Christians will undergo a terrible persecution where they are tortured and they are killed. So, sure seems to me, reading this, Ephesians 6, verse 12, that this is a flesh and blood problem. If they're killing my brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a flesh and blood problem. We're talking about an empire killing my brothers and sisters. But what Paul directs our attention to is the evil animating force behind the facade, so to speak, of flesh and blood. And the evil animating force behind that is Satan. It's it's like Paul's pulling back the curtain and he's showing us that there's more at work here than just that, than just an evil empire. Who is Satan? Who is this enemy? Is he some cartoony red creature with a, like a forked tail and horns coming out of his head, dancing around? Is that who it is? He's got a goatee. Jesus had this to say about him in John 8. The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So who is he? He's a life destroyer. He always has been. That's what went down in the Garden of Eden, the destruction of life. And he's a liar, the father of lies, the originator of lies. That's who he is. Satan uses various tactics to destroy life. But his primary tactic, his number one strategy, is lies. That's why we've been characterizing this battle that we face as a battle for the heart. That's why Paul prays throughout Ephesians. If you think about the prayers that Paul prays in Ephesians, he prays things like, he prays for the people to have knowledge, for spiritual eyesight in the heart, the mind and the heart, because the war is waged at the level of our will, our thoughts, our intentions, our inner thoughts. That's what I mean by heart, the mind and the heart, the way that that interacts together, your inner world. That's where the battle takes place. And to be sure, Satan is a master liar. He's had a long time to perfect his craft, right? Lies that work best, and we we know this from our own experience, the lies that work best are the ones that are mingled with truth. When Satan tempted Eve in the garden, he did not say something like, God is evil and he hates you. 
Rather, he mingles the truth and the lies to make it easier to believe, more palatable, more digestible. Here's what Satan said in Genesis 3. Just give you a little flavor. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now there's some truth there. You can pick it apart. There's some truth there. But he twists a few things to undercut the character and the promises of God. Is God really good? Does he really love you? You can find some combination of those lies in just about everything he says. Here's the deal. We all give in to lies. All of us. They are so very believable often. What what kind of lies? Here's something that Paul Tripp wrote that articulates well some of the lies that we're prone to believe. This isn't all of them. This isn't exhaustive. This is just some of them. We're tempted to believe, we, to want, we are still tempted to want our own way and to write our own rules. We still tend to value comfort and pleasure more than we love redemption. We're tempted to have more excitement in the things of this world than we do with the reality that we become the children of God. We still complain when sanctifying trials come our way, and we still tend to credit God with faithfulness only when things in our lives seem to be working. We take And we eat that lie. Just like Eve took and ate the apple in the garden. Thinking that it gives us something. We we all kinds of different lies. We think we take it and we eat it because we think it's gonna give us something that God can't or won't. We're weak. We're weak, brothers and sisters. We are we are weak. We're so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's why we sing, take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. We're weak. So what do we do in the face, if we're weak, what do we do in the face of an enemy that is so strong? Paul does not say the solution is to go and hunker down and wait for Jesus to return. He also doesn't say, go beat yourself up, get your mind right, get yourself right. He doesn't say that either. And maybe most notably, he does not stand on a hill and scream, fight. He doesn't say that. That's interesting. He speaks here with sober confidence. Think of the way that Jesus responded to the devil in the desert. Jesus was tempted. He went out there. He encountered the devil. Jesus was not raving like a madman at the devil. He responded with truth. So what do we do in this struggle for our inner world, this battle that's raging inside of us? We follow the directive here, straight out of the word of God, put on the whole armor of God. So let's talk about that, the armor of God. We have a, we're in a real battle, we have a real enemy, here's what we're going to do, we're going to put on the armor of God. Now, I recognize this idea of like putting on something or like, okay, here we go. For some of you, you might be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's put this armor on. I'm ready to go. Tell me what I need to do. And for some of you, at this moment, you are exhausted. And it feels like another thing that I'll never be able to do. If you're weary right now, you feel burdened and heavy laden, 
you are in the right place. Because Jesus is here. He knows that. He's that kind of a savior who takes those burdens off your back and puts it on his own. I need, you need, I need what this passage teaches. I have been, as one who often gives over to being overwhelmed or being weary, I have been personally so strengthened this week as I have prepared this message for you all. Um, But, if I'm honest, the battle still overwhelms me. Even as I take on strength, the battle can still overwhelm. How? How am I overwhelmed? I'm tempted to pity myself. I'm tempted to blame shift. It's easy for me to blame others. I, or I, can, I can think that um, these are all the, the different things that go on in my inner world. I can think I'm, I'm, I would be happy if I had this or that or the other thing. And those temptations are so strong. That can be wearying. That's why Paul starts this section by saying what strength we have access to. And that strength isn't ours. It doesn't come from within. If you're looking inside of yourself for the strength, you're not going to find it there. That strength comes from Jesus. From Jesus' resurrection, his victory for us. And that's why he points us then to this important grace in our lives, the armor of God. This, This is a grace to grab hold of, Christ's community. The armor of God. This is for you. This is for your good. This is, for, this is for life for you. So look at verse 13. Here's the exhortation. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. A couple things to note before we dive into the specifics of the armor. First, the evil day. Did you see that, did you see that little phrase, the evil day? That's a phrase Paul has used before. He's not talking about some sort, of, some sort of futuristic day of reckoning or like there's this great day of evil to come. No, he's talking about our day-to-day lives. He's talking about your and mine, day-to-day, filled with spiritual attack, mainly in the form of those honey-dipped lies that Satan feeds. They're so tempting to bite into. So he's talking to us. He's talking to you right now in your day-to-day hard life, the things that you face right now. And here's the second thing. Look at the exhortation there. The exhortation, again, is not to fight. It's not to run It's to stand. He tells us to stand. That's very notable. It's interesting. The picture here is roots down, fruit up. It's stability. Not being easily tossed, weathering whatever whatever attacks come your way. It's being a non-anxious presence in an age of anxiety. Stand. Not run, not fight. Stand. So, what's going to give you the grace to stand? How are you going to stand? Put on the armor. In 1655, a Puritan minister, his name was William Gurnall, published an often referenced and much trusted book on these verses. These verses we're about to look at. The short title is The Christian in Complete Armor. It That book is over 1,400 pages long. It has 261 chapters. Can you believe this? What that tells us, though, is that there is a wealth here in these verses. There is so much soaking to be done. Let me give you a little taste of Gurnall. This is what he says. I love this. In heaven, we shall shall appear not in armor. 
but in robes of glory. But here, the armor is to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. We're going to touch on the grace that's offered to us here. You know, it's just skipping that rock across the surface of the water. But whatever I say say here, there's just so much more for you here. So I would encourage you this week, like like getting in your hot tub or whatever, getting in the bath, soak in these verses. Paul sketched out the specifics of the armor of God for a reason. He could have just said, hey, put on the armor of God. Stand. But he took the time, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to list out specifics. He did that for a reason. He wants us to think about these things. He wants us to, as it were, strap the armor on, to tool up, to get ready. It's good to think about these things. Let's put the armor on right now, piece by piece, just quickly. We'll roll through it. First, belt of truth. That's the first thing that comes up. The belt... The picture, by the way, that Paul's using is of a Roman soldier. He's got a Roman soldier in his head, okay? And Roman soldiers wore a belt, and it kind of bound their uniform together, held it all together. Truth binds the armor of God together. Is the truth referenced here in Ephesians chapter 6, is it doctrine, like true doctrine, truth of God? Or is it truth like in your heart, like you're believing what is true? The answer is yes. Both. Yep. In John 8, just before Jesus exposes Satan, his lies, he says this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Lies are the devil's game. Truth is the way of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, abiding in his words, know the truth, and the truth sets them free. And Jesus loves the light. Satan loves darkness. That's why in my house, one of the most important rules is do not lie. Satan wants us to stay in the dark. Staying in the dark, living lies is deadly, deadly. Life must be lived truthfully. Live, brothers and sisters, live a life of truth. Live a life of full integration. You know, when when you live lies, when you hide things, when you conceal things, you keep them in the darkness, you are disintegrating yourself. You're compartmentalizing yourself. Do you think that those little hidden areas in your life don't matter? They do. They matter. It's tearing you apart. It tears me apart. When we do that, we're living lies. But... John 1, first John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Belt of truth. We're moving on. Second, breastplate of righteousness. That's a plate for, for a soldier that would cover the front and the back. Among the devil's lies, one of the most powerful that he has is to convince that we are condemned Though we are saved, though we're in Christ, we are condemned. We are irredeemable. Our sin, or our situation, or our character, or our self, like intrinsically who we are, our identity is so bad that God would never accept us. We're unsavable. We're unlovable. 
The breastplate, righteousness through Christ, says otherwise. There's a lot of places we can go to talk about righteousness, but let's stay in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. If you want to flip there, you can. It describes the new self. Ephesians 4, 23, I'm sorry, 23, 24. Describes the new self, who we are in Christ, as something to be put on. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This means you stand right before God. If you have trusted in Jesus... You stand right before God. There is nothing to prove. Jesus has metaphorically walked you into the throne room of heaven and you belong there. Let's keep moving. The shoes of the gospel. Shoes are worn by soldiers at that time. Uh, They were most often like cleats. They had nails shooting through the bottoms of them. They're called caliga. They had cleats because in the midst of the battle, they wanted to stand their ground. If you kind of picture yourself getting ready to fight back foot, one foot back, one foot forward, it allowed them to maintain their base and not be pushed back. And in fact, it allowed them to advance. That's what's in view here, to advance, advance the gospel. Many of you know the blessing of sharing the gospel with others and the the gospel of peace, that is peace between God and man. And you know that as you share the truths of the gospel with others, you also experience the blessings of the gospel in yourself. It's a way you remind it, you remind yourself of what's true. Rehearsing gospel truths with others stirs strength in the sharer. But it's also true, we gain strength to stand When we again savor the truth that we who were children of wrath, that is enemies of God, now have peace with God through Jesus. It made me think of that song, All I Have is is Christ. The verses are going to be up here on the screen. As I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. This is God making peace with us, for us. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath deserved for me. Now all I know is grace. That's the peace he's won for us. That's the peace we have in Christ. Fourth, shield of faith. Picture a big body length shield covered in arrows that are on fire. Those arrows, that's what they used to do in battles at that time. Those arrows come constantly and they... I read one guy said it looked like a porcupine. You're holding a porcupine. Arrows from Satan also come constantly in battle. That's what makes it so easy to give in. What are the flaming darts of the evil one? Temptation to sin of all sorts. Lust, fear. We can go right down the list. It's not all the evil one, but it can be. Um, And one thing I just want to point out this morning, faith, belief, continuing to trust in God is is often not a matter of logic. It's not something you convince yourself in your head. Trusting God or believing in the lies, choosing to sin is often a matter of the heart. As sinners, we want to call the shots. We want to do what we want to give in to our sinful passions. And the devil capitalizes on that. He sends in those flaming arrows to set our desires on fire. It's not our heads, but our hearts that are so vulnerable here. We don't logic ourselves into sin. We desire our way into sin. Faith in God extinguishes those attacks. Moving on quickly, the helmet of salvation. 
Soldier helmets at that time were heavy bronze, difficult to smash through. The soldier of Christ wears what Christ has done confidently on his or her head. He has worked your salvation. If you've trusted in Christ, salvation is yours. You do not need to fear what man or Satan can do to you. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit. It's a type of sword. This type of sword here was meant for combat. Brothers and sisters, God's word, the Bible, what you have in your hand, what you can read in your language, which is a miracle, it is the most powerful weapon in the universe. It pierces deeper than mere flesh and bone. It cuts through thoughts and intentions. It knocks back the mightiest evil force in the cosmos, the devil. Jesus wielded it against him in the wilderness. So brothers and sisters, use the Bible. Know the Bible. Read the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Study the Bible. It is a powerful weapon that God has entrusted to you. You must take it up and you must use it if you expect to stand in these evil days. You must take up all the armor of God and use it all if you expect to stand against the enemy in these evil days. So how do you take it up? How do you put it on? I just want to briefly close by answering that question. How? How do we put it on? How do we put on something conceptual? How do we put on something that isn't physical or touchable? Right? Putting on the armor of God so that we can stand in these evil days is probably the most difficult thing I have ever done or will do. Paul uses this language in other parts of uh, letters that he writes. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Or he says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember where the battle takes place. In your inner life. The thoughts and intentions in your heart. Putting on truth, righteousness, faith, and so on. That is a conscious rejection of lies and a reorientation of your mind. Setting your mind on something good, true, holy, right. Something of God. Our forefathers in the faith called that, that process of rejecting lies and embracing truth, spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. We train our hearts and our minds through spirit-empowered action. Things like prayer, silence and solitude, fasting, meditation on God's word. These practices form us. They They form us away from, in ways different than Satan's lies, and more into the image of Jesus. And that is hard work. Attacks come. They come constantly. And it's in those moments, either I'm going to stand or I don't. But standing starts here with these spiritual practices, these means of grace. How, how do you expect to, to put on the armor of God? How do you intend to do that? This is how. Maybe you daily immerse your heart and mind in Scripture already. Maybe you do that. Maybe you have like a so-called quiet time. Keep going. Keep doing it. The battle is raging to form your soul, to snatch you away. That's putting on the armor of God. Maybe you haven't thought about reading your Bible in months. Maybe you haven't prayed in years. 
Let me just urge you with this, encourage you with this. Don't start where you want to be. Start with where you are. Start with something simple, even just this week. Scott, back at the beginning of 2021, which seems like an eternity ago, encouraged all of us when he was talking about the importance of the Word of God to be reading through the Psalms. What he does is he reads through the Psalms, um, and he prays through them. I started doing that. I've been, I've been doing that all year long. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to join me in that. That meditation, that soaking in the Word of God. And you don't need to read the whole psalm. The goal isn't just to read it right through, straight through. What I often do is I will start reading a psalm, and whenever I am either comforted or I am convicted, I will stop. And I will just pray. And I'll just lock that in my heart. Roll it around in my mind. But remember this in your battle against Satan. Final word. Remember this. Behold the Son of God who faced the lies of Satan himself and did not give in. He never did. Jesus silenced his condemning accusations at the cross and plundered him. He took you back. You're his. If you're in Christ, you are his. We aren't Satan's anymore. You and I belong to God. He is our true father. So, Remember that. Life is war. But God has given you all the grace you need to stand. Let's pray. Lord, help us to stand. Oh, how we need your great strength. Thank you, Jesus, that you have won the victory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.